Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Exodus chapter 14, I've been asked for the past couple weeks, you're not going to do another message out of those same four verses again, are you? Yes, one more. One more message out of Exodus 14, verses 10 through 14. The God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is one who delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. You can take that to the bank if you want. God delivers his people, God redeems his people, and God dwells with his people. As we journey through Exodus, he has delivered his people from bondage in Egypt. He is now leading them through the wilderness to Mount Sinai, where they will worship him. After they worship him at Mount Sinai, after he gives them the law through Moses, he will take them to the promised land where they will dwell as his people. He will be their God in the land that he promised to them. It's like a whole big resetting of Eden. There was a perfect place that God created and put man in, and man sinned. And now God is delivering his people from bondage to a perfect place that he has given them. It is a resetting of things as they enter the promised land. We have been examining... Pharaoh has trapped them, angered, upset, whatever, that he let them go. He's realized that he's lost his workforce. He's been, uh, I, I honestly, when I read this, we know that the Bible says, God says, I will harden his heart. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and I will get glory over them, uh, over Pharaoh. I think that a lot of what comes into this is that Pharaoh's pride as the king of Egypt took a huge shot by the power of a living God judging him and bringing plagues on his land that he could not control, that his magicians could not mimic. But a king has trapped his army, his horsemen, his chariots. They have trapped a vulnerable and weak people of Israel against the sea. We've been examining four characteristics revealed in the Israelites through verses 10 through 14. They show fear. They show lament. They, they regret. They look back and see life as having been better. That line that we talked about, they looked back at what appeared to be good instead of looking around and seeing nothing good. They have expressed thanklessness instead of thankfulness. And this last week, despair. Four characteristics revealed in the Israelites, verses 10 through 14. Uh, Verses 10, 11, and 12 show that fear, lament, thanklessness, and despair. Then in verses 13 through 14, it is followed up by what they need to do in order to remember God, instead of forgetting him and focusing on the negative of the situation, they need to remember the Lord their God. And we talked about those four things that a weak and vulnerable people can do to remember God, to focus on the Lord, remembering his promise and his plan, to long for the fulfillment of his promise. God has delivered them. He is moving them, and he is taking them to a better place, the promised land. They can be thankful instead of thankless, instead of looking around and seeing all is woe. They can give thanks to what God has done and for what he has done. And finally, depending. They can depend on God. In chapter 14, I have emphasized over the last several weeks, the theme is the glory of God. Specifically, God getting glory. 
He says in verse 4, I will get glory over Pharaoh and Egypt. He says in verse 17, I will get glory over them. He says in verse 18, when I have gotten glory. So verse chapter 14 is about God getting glory, specifically over his enemies. We noted that a side theme that happens here is that Israel will see the enemy coming after them. Israel will see the defeat of the enemy, and Israel will see the power of God in the defeat of their enemy. So those two things working simultaneously in chapter 14, God getting glory and Israel witnessing that glory, that power going to God and not to them. It is impossible. When we get to chapter 15 and they stand on the dry bank of the other side, it is impossible for them to say, we did real good here. They did nothing. God did everything, and God gets the glory. Would you read with me these four short verses, 10 through 14? When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you in this moment, seeking to learn from your word and recognizing that we are in need of you, illuminating your word to us, enlightening our eyes, speaking to our hearts and minds. Father, we we try to come as undistracted as possible, but we are a distracted people. We try to put away the anxiety and cares and busyness of this world, but it's so hard to do that presses in on us. Father, I pray in this moment that your spirit would speak to all who are here, myself included. Father, I pray that you would speak to me as you speak through me the truth of your word. I pray, Father, that as your word is preached today, not just here, but in many places, that through the preaching of your word, sinners would be humbled to repentance and to salvation. I pray, Father, that holiness among your people will be promoted as we look at your word and what you call us to as your people. May we live it. And I pray, Father, that as your word is faithfully proclaimed in many places, Christ the Savior would be exalted. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I titled this week's sermon, Depending, Not Despairing. I don't always do it, but when I do, sometimes I'm able to get two words that have the same letter, and so we had focused, not fearful, longing, not lamenting, thankful, not thankless, and finally, depending and not despairing. Here's what I hope to accomplish in our short time together today. In our final examination of these four verses, I hope that we, as God's people, have a further understanding of the depths with which we can trust the Lord our God. You and I have not come to the end of how deeply we can depend on the Lord. Verse 10 is where we started. We have been examining these verses. 
the characteristics revealed here in light of Pharaoh coming after Egypt and trapping them against the sea to recapture them. I've kept that out in front of us so that we don't lose the context of what has driven them to this place. Pharaoh has come after them. He has trapped them against the sea. They look and see him coming. They see the sea here and they see no way to escape. So it's very important for us to recognize that as we talk about these characteristics, they're legitimate for the people of Israel. We cannot minimize or marginalize the difficult things that people go through in this life. No matter how great or how small, we go through and experience real hardships. Israel has seen God deliver them. They are delivered. They are out of Egypt. They've been redeemed, but they are here trapped against the sea with Pharaoh coming after them. We have talked about the illustration here with Israel trapped against the sea and going through the wilderness, and they're not done going through the wilderness. That's still even ahead of them. They have more wilderness journeying to do. We've considered the connection between them in the wilderness, trapped and traveling, and our time as God's people in this life. Though secure, though redeemed, though delivered through faith in Jesus Christ from sin, from bondage in this life, we are pilgrim strangers on a journey through a wilderness. This life is a wilderness, and many in this room may understand, oh pastor, it's a barren wilderness. You may be in the worst part of the wilderness. In a few chapters, we will read about Israel coming to a place where it says there were springs of water and 70 palm trees, an oasis, and they camped there. Like sometimes as you travel through the wilderness of life, there are bright spots, and other times it's just vast emptiness. You may relate to that. Secure through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus says, no one can take from my hand those who are mine. If you sit here this morning with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, if your testimony is one of receiving the mercy of God by his grace, you are saved, there's confidence in that statement. We are saved. Saved through Christ. Paul would use language in the New Testament that reminds us we are both saved and being saved. How many of you woke up this morning and said, I'm not perfect yet. I'm not perfect yet. I haven't got there. God is accomplishing his work. I appreciated the prayer this morning. God will accomplish the work that he started. Not perfect yet, but one day the Lord will return, take us to eternity, and there it will be perfected. In this wilderness, we are weak and we are vulnerable like the people of Israel. The enemy pursues us. Hardships befall us. We look around and are afraid. We look back and we think maybe there was a better option. Maybe that was better. Maybe before I made this decision for Christ, maybe that was actually the better life that I could have been living. We tend to be thankless when circumstances go bad. Instead of thanking God for all that he has done, we simply throw our hands up and say, why can't you do better, God? Hmm. Lastly, we're driven to despair. It must be kept in mind and clear. I've made this reminder each week and I will again today. When I talk about people forgetting the Lord and not remembering, I am speaking to those who have, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, professed Christ as Savior and have that testimony of salvation in this life. If you have yet to profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not come to know the goodness of God in your life, if you are not in submission to his word and in fellowship with his people, following him through this wilderness, you have nothing yet to forget or remember. 
The Bible says that apart from Christ, we are without hope and without God in the world. It is my hope and prayer that through the preaching of his word, some would be brought to that knowledge and be brought into the family of God and have occasion to remember what the Lord has done. Exodus chapter 14, verse 12. This is what happens when a weak and vulnerable people forget the Lord. They despair. Look at verse 12. Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? i got to read it in two ways, because here they're asking a question, but their question here comes from a statement in the past. Did we not say to you, leave us alone so we can serve the Egyptians? At one point, they said to him, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. That's, that's a tension that's hard to reconcile. They cried for help. Why do they want to be left alone? Well, we see throughout the lives of the people of Israel that Maybe life in Egypt wasn't so bad. Maybe we didn't have it as bad as we think we had it. They're going to express this several times over the rest of the Old Testament, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses will remind them they are, they are a wayward people and they consider perhaps it was better. When we were there, Moses, did we not say, it's important for us to remember, in, verse, in, in all of Exodus, the first five books of the Bible, but in, in Exodus, Moses is writing to us. The man who Israel said to, did we not say to you, is writing to us, telling us, they came out of Egypt, they were in bondage, and they said to me, didn't we say it was better there? What have you done? Leave us alone. Can you imagine? Leave us alone. Everybody should put their hand up and say, I can imagine. Because there was a day when you considered I don't dislike this life that I have and this sin that I'm in. It's not that bad, is it? Sin isn't so bad. No, only through the grace and mercy of God do we get to a point in our life where things are not great and we look back and go, wow, it's not great, but that was terrible. I don't ever want to go back to that. That was really bad. That's why we have testimonies built on what God has done, where he has taken us from. Moses is writing to us here. They said to me, they said to me in Egypt, leave us alone. I can't. God sent me to you because God, Exodus 3, has come down to deliver you. You, Exodus 2, 25, called out to him saying, deliver, help, help. I'm help. God sent me to you to help. And they received that end of Exodus chapter 4 going into chapter 5. He came, told them of the good news, showed them the signs. They believed Moses. They worshipped God. So here we have a people just like us. Let's not condescend on them so harshly. We have a people just like us who see good things, who hear good things, who receive good things, and then turn around and say, we said leave us alone. Leave me alone. Did we not say, leave me alone? God, leave me alone. I don't want to confront that. I don't want to deal with that. I don't need your help with this. Leave me alone. Leave us alone. Why? That we may serve the Egyptians. God said, I'm calling you out of Egypt. I'm delivering you out of Egypt. For what purpose? To serve me. And you are seeing the bonds of your slavery and the servitude to your master as better 
than serving me. Israel, tell me, how long have you been in Egypt now? God, by our best calculation, it's been 400 years that we've been here. And how's it going you're getting out of that mess you're in down there without me? Lord, we can do nothing about it. We're trapped. We're trapped. You and I, brother and sister, perhaps even in the room still now, we're trapped in our sin. We talked last week about the master of sin, enslaved to our passions and desires that are contrary to God and contrary to his word that we inherited from Adam when he sinned. The Israelites, trapped against the sea, Pharaoh and his army coming, They see a real threat that causes real fear. It produces real doubt. It causes them to be thankless, and it drives them to despair. They've already made up the outcome. Look what they say. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. Statement would have been better. That's what they're comparing against. That would have been good, better for us than what? Than, now we have a contrast, there's that option, now there's a new option, than what? Than to die in the wilderness. You know what just happened? Israel just went from, this is really bad, to we know how it's going to end. We are dead men. We're dead. We have lost all hope. We are dead. It would have been better for us to stay there than to be dead men in the wilderness. If we read this too quickly, we miss the despairing nature of this statement. This is a vulnerable and weak people forgetting the Lord their God, who not only promised to deliver them by the power of his own hand, but has. Every promise of God is faithful and true. He's delivered them. They are now journeying, yet they despair. There is no hope here, Moses, We're dead. It would have been better if our children had just been born in Egypt and lived as slaves than to taste this freedom, Moses. Some good you've done us. What did they say just prior? What did you do to us in bringing us out of Egypt? This isn't good. You've done nothing good for us. We're not delivered. They're going to kill us. They've already made up what's going to happen. And we told you that, Moses. We told you this would happen. And look around. Here we are, despairing. That word despair. Merriam-Webster helped me define it very simply. It actually is a word that has a very simple definition. Ready? Despair. Utter loss of hope. Hopeless. No hope. They are despairing. I have said before that I am a great fan of the Pilgrim's Progress. And if you have never read The Pilgrim's Progress, I want to encourage you to do so. You can find it anywhere. Find a, a, a rendition of it. The original wording, it was written in the 1600s. It's very difficult to read because of the language of the time. You can find modern and faithful adaptations. And I actually brought one with me. And in a strange twist of events, I'd like to talk to our children in the room, if that's okay with all of you. Could I have all the kids that are like 10 and under come and just sit here? Every child that's 10 and under, just come and sit right here. Because... I think that kids know what it means to lose hope. We're just going to 
step out of preaching and step into preaching a different way. So just have a seat right there. I'm going to tell you guys a little story. Okay, go ahead and sit down right here. Every child that's 10 and under, if you want to come up here, when you're done, you're going to go back and sit with your parents. Parents, you can all say thank you. Parents with little children squirming all Sunday morning long, just look at me and say, thank you. It's okay. All right. Everybody have a seat. I'm just going to I just want to, I want to read you guys a little story, okay? And I want all of you to be paying attention, not thinking, oh, cute, the pastor's talking to the kids. There's nothing cute about this. I want you listening because children have faith. Don't take pictures. Put your phones down. No, none of it. None of it. I want you listening. I want you listening. I'm talking to all of us as I speak to them. If you're nine and under, come on up and have a seat. Have any of you ever read or heard of Pilgrim's Progress before? Pilgrim's Progress, yeah? In school? That's awesome. That's great. Great. Yeah? That's good. You, you're reading it? That's really great. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit of this story, okay? Just a little bit. In a pilgrim's progress, there's a man named Christian Pilgrim. And Christian Pilgrim realizes he has a burden on himself that he can do nothing about. Absolutely nothing. He's got a burden. And it's on his back. He carries, he's got a big burden. See in this picture even here. See this? Is this little boy? This is little pilgrim. And see this big pack? It's strapped to his back. You know what that is? That's the problem of sin. It's the weight of sin. This little boy has a problem with the weight of sin. He can't do anything about it. He goes on this journey because he reads a book. And the book says that there's going to be judgment because of sin. He's going he's to have a judgment because of sin. He's got to be right somehow to not have the judgment. He doesn't know what to do. And so he starts to cry, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I don't know what to do. And so he continues reading. And the book puts him on a path and the path is leading him to the solution to his problem. Well, along the way, he meets all kinds of people. There's all kinds of strangers in the way and people that help him in the way. There's all kinds of stuff on his journey. But he comes to a point where he's got somebody traveling with him. And Little Pilgrim's name is Christian. And Christian's friend's name that he meets, and we're going to read about a little bit this morning, his name is Hopeful. Christian and Hopeful. And they're journeying on the way. They're on a, a path, like a road, a sidewalk, where they're walking... You ever walk down a path? You ever go somewhere and follow a path? Like maybe a sandy path through the woods and all of a sudden you're at the lake. All different paths you're walking, right? Well, they're walking. Hang on, I'm going to tell you a story. And all the parents said, that's right, Pastor. Okay. They're journeying on the path. And all of a sudden, they realize the path is really hard to walk on because it's really rocky. And they look over, there's a gate, a, a fence, like a stone wall kind of fence next to them. And they look over it and they realize on the other side of that fence, it's really green and grassy and it looks really soft. And so let's jump over that stone wall and let's walk on the nice side. Let's go where it's easy instead of where it's hard. Let's go where it's easier instead of harder. They're walking on this rocky path, and let's, let's jump over it. So they do. So Christian and Hopeful jump over the fence, and what happens as they jump over the fence? Well, let's read. <clears throat> as it became dark, Christian and Hopeful were lost. I shouldn't have listened to you, said Hopeful. We should have stayed on the king's path. You'll get lost if you turn from the king's path. Forgive me, Christian said. I was wrong to leave the path again, and I should know better by now. Let's turn around and go back. See what happened is it's not the first time that Christian has left the path. Actually, as he followed the path, he's kind of turned away from it on a lot of occasions. 
You know why? Because when he steps off the path, he's forgetting God. When you forget the Lord, you'll end up lost. But a heavy rain flooded their path and they couldn't find their way back. They decided to sleep there for the night, shivering in the cold and the rain. It doesn't sound like fun to sleep in the cold and the rain. It doesn't sound like fun at all. Oh, that's a big guy. Is that like, look at that big guy. He's like a giant. That's like, is that like me to you guys? Am I a giant to you guys? Big giant. They didn't know they'd fallen asleep near Doubting Castle. They woke up to the sound of a loud, rough voice. What are you doing on my land? Christian was terrified. We're pilgrims. We're lost, and we didn't know better. That's no excuse for trampling on my grass, said giant despair. Giant despair. Giant despair threw them into a dark and dirty dungeon. They lay there for days without, look at this, without a crumb of bread or a drop of water. How many of you would be super happy if you went home and for lunch all you had was a crumb of bread and a glass of water? Right. None of us. They didn't have a crumb of bread or a drop of water for days. They were far from family and friends or anyone to help them. Worse still, the giant beat them. He yelled at them, you'll never get out of here. You'll die here in this prison, so give up hope. There's no way out. Give up hope. There's no way out. I give up, Christian said. He gave up. Christian said he gave up. But hopeful encouraged him. Be patient, brother. We must wait and hope. Maybe someday he'll forget to lock us in. He's throwing... Throwing Christian into the dungeon after B's got that club, he's beating him, he's mean. Despair is mean to them. It was more than Christian could bear. This is all my fault, he cried. I led us away from the path. I failed so many times, I don't deserve to be a pilgrim. I don't deserve to enter the celestial city. The king will never let me in. But Hopeful said, the king is merciful. He'll never abandon you. We'll soon see the celestial city. Remember how brave you've been so far? Apollyon couldn't crush you. The valley of the shadow of death didn't turn you away. With the king's help, you've overcome many difficulties, and you'll overcome this one as well. Early the next morning, Christian woke and said, What a fool I've been! How could I have forgotten? The king left a key called promise hidden here in my pocket. I'm certain it will open any lock in Doubting Castle. Christian tried the key in the door and it worked. Together they pushed it open. But then, as they opened the gate leading out of the castle, it made a loud creaking sound which woke up giant despair. The giant chased after them, but just as he reached to grab them, the sun pierced through the clouds and blinded him. He fell to the ground with a huge crash. The boys ran until they reached the king's path again. And they put a sign there to warn other pilgrims about the castle of despair. They jumped back over the fence, thanking the king for delivering them once again, and they continued on the narrow path. What I want to teach you is that God has given a way for you to not despair or be hopeless in this world. You're all so young, and you haven't faced what a lot of the adults in this room have lived through. 
And you look and don't understand things that are happening around you. And the adults say, well, one day when you grow up, you'll understand. And did you know, it's really true that there will be hard times in life. And we're teaching you about God and how to trust him and have faith in him. But even when you have faith in him, things can get really hard. Christians been following and hopeful started following. And now they're locked in the castle. And what will they do? They will remember that God wants his children to depend on him. And nothing and no one else will fail you more than if you trust yourself and not God. Christian and hopeful thought they knew what they were doing was better instead of following the path that the king put them on. If they had stayed on the king's path and remembered the king's promise, they would have missed despairing and forgetting the Lord and depending on themselves and getting into a big mess. God has promised to deliver. God has promised not to leave us, not to forsake us. It is the prayer of so many in this room that you children will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that as you grow and as you experience hard things, you will remember, just like Christian, the king put his promise in my pocket and I can get through anything if I trust the king. Can I pray for you guys? And then you can go sit and color that coloring sheet with the giant. I want to see your coloring sheets. They're on the table back there. In fact, before you go back to your mom and dad, you can get one. It's got the giant and Christian and hopeful and the castle. Color it up. I want to see who colors it. Okay, I want to see it. But let me pray. God, thank you for these small hearts. And though my ways are feeble, I pray that your spirit is talking to them. And I pray, God, that through the faithful witness of faithful Christians in this room and in their lives and their homes, God, that you will save these young hearts and that they will know you have put your promise through the blood of your son and the seal of your Holy Spirit in their life and they can depend on you no matter what. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, get the coloring sheet, go back and sit with your parents while I finish talking with them and you listen too. All right, audience, parents, you are really good. Thanks for listening to that little story for the children. Christian and hopeful looked over the gate and thought, it's greener over there, it's nicer over there, it's not this rocky path like here, let's go the easy way. Let's take the easy way. Taking the easy way is often not taking God's way, in fact, God says that the path to follow him is narrow, and few are they that find it. It's hard, it's twisty, it's rocky, it's turny, it's, it's difficult. God says that the path is wide, the road, the comparison is a road and a path. The road is wide and broad that leads to destruction. Are you ever tempted to despair in this life, Christian? Are you ever tempted to feel so hopeless, so helpless that you forget God? Christian Pilgrim read the book. Christian Pilgrim knew that all he needs to do is read the word of the king in the celestial city and follow the king's words and he'll arrive at the king's destination. But all throughout life's journey, as he went through and had the book and was following the path, something would come up and would throw him off the path. And do you know one of the last things that throws him off the path is the castle of despair and doubting. 
Once they bust through and out of Castle Doubt and from the Giant Despair, Giant Despair has a wife in the original. Her name is Diffidence. You know what diffidence means? It means lack of trust. So Christian and hopeful are held by despair, utter hopelessness, and diffidence, lack of trust, lack of faith. And they bust out of the castle, not of their own power. They bust out of the castle because the king put his promise in them. And they remember the promise of the king. And the promise of the king helps them to overcome despair and diffidence. And they move through. And now, all of a sudden, their journey is easier for them. But their journey is not over. And in fact, along the way, they meet a character called the flatterer. And the flatterer is one of the craftiest yet. You know why? Because the flatterer gets them to think that they're pretty great stuff. And he leads them astray again. Just like Christian hopeful, just like the Israelites here, we're tempted to despair, are we not? Think about things that, that may tempt us to despair. Maybe we don't give in to utter despair. Maybe we don't actually get there, but think about those things that poke at us, that prod us to not have hope in what God has said. What are some of the things that cause us to despair? I made a, a meager list. You know one of the things in my life, one of the things that led me more to thoughts and feeling of despair than anything else is failing in my stand and my fight against sin and temptation. Now, yeah, I still fail. I'm not perfect. I'm waiting for that. I still fail. Now, I can remember sin struggles that would grip me so tightly, and I would think, I've put it away, right? Because we've got a responsibility. God delivers us, but he says, put sin away from your bodies. Don't give in to sin anymore. Put it away. You're made able through faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to put sin away from you. But the problem is, we like sin. For no other reason other than we live in this broken world and it tempts us and it looks good. It looks greener on the other side of the fence. Failing in my stand and fight against temptation and sin, that was something that would cause me to feel despair. I can't overcome this. I'm such a failure God, I'm not worthy of being called your son because I can't even put this thing away from me. I should use better words and I don't. I shouldn't look at this, but I do. I shouldn't go there, but I can't help myself. I'm not worthy. Is your testimony one of the mercy of God, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ? That's your hope? You're hanging everything on that? Then you're worthy. God has said so. If that is your profession of faith, if you have that profession of faith, God has said, you're my child. No one says Jesus is Lord without the Spirit. That profession of faith is generated within you by the Spirit of God in you. It comes out of you. Falling in temptation and sin, not being able to overcome it, it's a long road. Sanctification is a long, hard process in this life. And when we fail, we can be tempted to despair. I'll never, I just, I quit. You know how many people walk away from the faith because they can't overcome sin? They despair and they walk away. They're proving that they were never in the faith or they are self-deceived that it depends on them to be delivered from the sin. No, God delivers you from the sin and gives you the ability to put it away. We don't put it away. We wrestle with it. What causes us to despair? 
You have relationships in your life you just can't fix? I can't do anything about this one. I've tried everything. I've been everywhere. Pastors, counselors, therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists. I watched Oprah every year for nine years of my life, every single day, and she didn't get me anywhere. Can't overcome the struggle that I have in this relationship. I just can't get along. We just don't agree. How about this one? Here's a curveball in things that lead us to despair. I struggle watching Christians despair over the hopelessness of countering unbiblical, unscriptural morality in our day. The world is a wreck, and we've been given a light. We've been given a a message to shine forth, but sometimes it's like, what good is it going to do? Who's going to listen? Everyone's corrupt. Correct. If we paid attention to the Bible, we would operate with the understanding that no one is good. That helps us in our biblical perspective of the world when we remember no one is good. Trying to stand up for biblical, scriptural morality and purity in such a broken world. How do I love my neighbor? I don't know how to do these things. I can't do this in this world. It's so hard. So what do we do? We give up. You know what? I'll just go to church. I'll just go home. That'll be enough. We just give up on everything else that God tells us to do. Listen, that happens. Yeah, it's not worth, it's not really, I have my faith, you know, I've got my belief in God, but like I don't need to go to church, I don't need to do all those things because what good is it anyway? That's despair. You've given up hope that your life in this world has no purpose and God has said otherwise. How do I stand up for injustice? How do I stand up for the poor? How do I care for the alien, the widow, the, the childless, the orphan? How do I do these things in this world? It's so difficult. It's so hard to do. I just, there's no point in doing it. What good is my Christian testimony in that person's life anyway? They don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen. All of those are ending in despair. They're all coming to a place where we give up hope. If we forget the Lord. We focus too much on what's happening in the world around us. We will be led to despair. And did you know that biblically, despair leads nowhere good. Biblically, there are people who despair and they're led to one of two places. They are either led to thoughts of and desiring to die or they are led to take their life. Despairing thoughts utter hopelessness leads us to what's the point of living anyway? Why bother anymore? When despairing thoughts and hopelessness begin to grip us, Christian, first of all, we need to realize that you're not alone. Every one of us, if I ask the question, how many of you have been tempted to despair in your life? Every one of us had plenty of moments in my life where it has been utterly hopeless, right? Why? Because you've been forgetting the Lord and not remembering the Lord. You forget the Lord, you're going to end up hopeless. There is only hope in Jesus Christ. And if you stray from Jesus Christ, you will end up despairing because you will end up in a hopeless place. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13. Chapter 3 verse 12 actually. Having no hope and without God in the world. When despairing thoughts begin to grip you, I want to comfort you first by letting you know you're not alone. It's not wrong. God knows you're going to be tempted with that fear. God knows what you're facing in this life and how that affects you. The Israelites are despairing here, and they will again note, in the promised land. 
God is bringing them to the promised land. They send spies over. The spies say, no way. It's utterly hopeless for us to go into that land because the people over there, they're huge. There's no way. Hopeless. You know what happens? Their brief journey becomes a 40-year because they despaired instead of hoping and depending on God. David, oh my goodness. Read the Psalms. If you, if you wrestle with being hopeless, dig into the Psalms deeply. David, the Psalms are riddled with David's cry of hopelessness. Let's get closer to Christ. The disciples were in a boat with the Creator, and a storm got bad, and they said to him, Wake up! We are going to die. They were despairing. That's despair. No hope. We're going to die. Christ is in the boat with them. Like, can you even imagine? Just imagine, right? And you can't imagine. Why? Because Christ is in the boat with you. You understand that's the analogy of what's happening there. They're in the boat with Jesus. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit that lives in us through faith in Christ. By the grace of God, we are vessels of God. He lives in us. The disciples are despairing. We're perishing. Paul in 2 Corinthians, those verses this morning, I love those. We're perplexed but not in despair. Right, Paul? That's, man, that's incredible. We have this, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this awesome passing power is from God and not from us. Man, that's good stuff. Crushed on every side, pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. But in chapter one, Paul talks about despairing of life itself. Three short chapters earlier. Chapter four, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Chapter one, we've been despairing of life itself. Why? Paul says, because God wanted us to depend on him. Therefore, we do not lose heart, he goes on to write. As Paul depends on God, the despair is pushed away. Depend on God, see despair, move out of your life. How do we move away from despair? How do we overcome despairing? We must remember to depend on the Lord. If there's one drum that I'm not sure is being pounded loud enough in this life. It's that as Christian pilgrims on this journey, every minute of every day and every circumstance and every relationship and every moment of our life must be lived depending on God. All of it. It is a full, whole body lifestyle, this following the Lord Jesus Christ. Not an ounce of what we have in face of our day, not any of it can be faced without depending on the Lord. Well, sure, Ken, Pastor, I'm going to go home and I'm going to eat my lunch. Well, right, because the Lord provided food and the Lord's going to get you there. You depend on the Lord to provide, to care for, to nurture. The Bible says that Jesus nourishes his bride, his body. How do we remember the Lord? If when we forget the Lord, we despair in our vulnerable and weak lives, how do we remember the Lord? We live dependent on him. Look what Moses says in verse 14. They fear, Israel has feared when they saw him coming. They've looked back to Egypt. 
They have been thankless for where they've been brought to. They are despairing now because of where they are. And look at Moses says in verse 14, he says to them first, fear not. See the salvation of the Lord, which the Lord will work for you today. The Egyptians who you see stand firm. Verse 14, the Lord will. Israel, your problem in this moment is that you're depending on yourself. You are looking around at the sea and Pharaoh's army and you are saying to yourself, I depend on me. We have no hope. We cannot get out of this. What good is any of this anyways? We're just going to die here in the wilderness. When a vulnerable and weak people remember the Lord, they learn to live dependent on him. Listen, depending on God is not going to be natural for you. It's not natural for me. We have to learn to be dependent on God. How do we do this? One, by reading stories of people who have not depended on him and seeing what he has done for them. We have no reason, just as Israel had no reason, to ever doubt the goodness and the promise of God, ever. The Israelites rely on themselves in a moment. They begin to despair. The Lord says through his servant Moses to his people, the Lord will fight for you. You don't need to despair. Trust me. Depend on me. I am your God. I will deliver. I will take. I will do. You've done nothing even to get to this point. Church of the living God, you're sitting in this chair today and you did nothing to get here. God has brought you to this point, to this moment of encouragement, this moment of hope, this moment of unity and fellowship and praise to our God. By his own word, the Lord tells us that we can depend on him and we can trust him at all times and with all things. This is called, and I've talked about it before in this Exodus series, this is called the doctrine of divine immutability. He does not change. And because he does not change, you can trust him at all times with all things, always. I want to highlight some verses. The, the evidence is overwhelming biblically for how deeply we can trust. And I promise you have not depended on God to the depths that you can. I promise you. Numbers 23, God is not a son of man that he should change his mind. He's not going to waver. To, to counter that, Numbers, James at the other end of the Bible says, with our father from whom all good things come, there is no shadow or variation due to change. The whole spectrum of the Bible tells us that God is forever constant, not changing, not wavering. The psalmist, chapter 33, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generation. Oh, what are the plans? God, what are your plans for my life? I just, I would do it, but I just don't know what the plans are for my life. The plans for your life are salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and eternity with God. Work while you live on this earth. Drive a car while you live on this earth. Trust God in the provision of having a car and having work and eating food and going places. The plan of God is to save a people for himself for eternity. That stands forever, not changing. God is saving. In Psalms, and in Hebrews, the Bible tells us that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. He's not going to fail in saving his people. That's not going to ever waver. Isaiah 46, God says, I'm God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, my counsel shall stand. I, those are awesome words. I'm God. God saying to us, I'm God. Oh, Lord, you are. And I've authored all things. I know all things. And if he's not going to change, what he's authored isn't going to change, that gives confidence as we depend on him. 
We depend on God because he is unchanging. Through the prophet Malachi, God told the children of Israel, because I don't change, you don't die. (laughs) I mean, that's really a good one. Because I do not change, therefore, O Israel, you are not consumed. Why? God effectively saying, if I changed, I would end all of you because you're rebellious, you're stiff-necked, you're hard-hearted, you always are doing what's wrong, you're always turning to the right or to the left, you're always turning away from me, you're always perverting my commands and my laws, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, and I would end you, but I love you, and I don't change, so you live. Man, that's some confidence we can have in God. Hebrews chapter 6 It's impossible for God to lie. Chapter 13, I will never forsake you. To those maybe tempted to despair this morning. Maybe it's medical. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's financial. Who knows what the problem may be? But you're looking at it and you're like, there's no hope. There is no hope for what is in front of me right now. And God says, no, that might end really bad for you, but I will never forsake you. You know what? We've, mess, we've made a mistake in understanding that God forsaking us is bad in this life, but his promise is eternal. It might be bad in this life. It might go sideways and never get corrected in this life for us. And God has promised, I will never leave you. When you exit this wilderness and you end this journey Gosh, the end of the pilgrim story, he has to jump through and swim through the river of death. He has to die. We're all going to die. All of us. The Lord tarries, none of us are going to live forever. It's that old southern gospel song, gospel song used to be sung. When I cross that river, when I fight life's final war with pain... And you exit this life and you will see through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior God standing there saying, welcome, welcome. I told you I would never leave you or forsake you and here you are with me now. Hebrews 13, 8, oh, what a verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The solution to despair. If you are tempted to despair in your life today, the solution is utter dependence on God. The Lord will fight for you. Israel needs to depend, not despair, and so do we. Are you despairing this morning? Maybe you're here today and you're in despair. The first question that has to be answered is, have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're sitting here without your faith squarely placed on a God who has provided all and done all and will never leave... If you're sitting here today and you have not placed your faith and your every ounce of confidence in every aspect of your life, in that Jesus, in that gospel, you have great reason to despair. Having no hope and without God. If you're here today and you have not placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I call you today to repent of sin to trust through faith the grace that God has given because of the work of his son according to his mercy and to be saved. To repent of sin, to live according to God's holy word, to strive after him, to be putting sin away. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord. 
call out to him. How do I do that? How do I call in the name of the Lord? Father, I've come to an end of myself. I can do nothing. I see my sin. I see your holiness. I, I see, I feel the weight on my back and there's no solution. I call out to you, Lord, mercy. Forgive this sinner and save my soul. Oh, praise God, may it be. If you want to talk more about salvation through faith in Christ, I'd love to talk with you. Call on the name of the Lord, repent of sin, and be saved. If you are here today and your faith and your confidence is placed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no reason to despair. None. Oh, well, I'm not saying life is great and there's no reason to not despair. Because there's a lot of reason out there. But we have a God who has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. We have a God who said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll return. We have a God who says that through faith in Jesus Christ, belief in his name, the Lord Jesus Christ, there is the promise of eternal life. And when we cross that river into eternity, God will say through faith in Jesus to his servants, well done, come and be in the rest of your master. I will never leave you. That is the promise that awaits us. The Lord Jesus Christ in John 15 says that he is the vine and we are the branches. Any vine that remains in him grows and bears fruit to the glory of God the Father. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, Apart from me, you can do no thing. Nothing. You will bear much fruit when you live a life that is dependent on the Lord daily. Minute by minute, God, I trust you. I depend on you. The storm is raging. The the enemy is attacking. The foes are many, but I trust you, God. Connected. May it never be said of us, when things got bad and in their despair, they forgot the Lord. May it be said of us that we are a people crying out in utter dependence with unwavering hope in a God who will not turn his back on you. Next time we open to the book of Exodus, we're going to see a people who watched a God not turn his back on them and delivered them through the raging sea. Father, I come to you today in the name of your Son, the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are thankful, Father, that the only ground on which we can stand when we approach you is the ground that he paid for with his blood for our sin. Most holy God, forgive us for despairing and forgetting you. Father, I pray that you will strengthen us to be a people who remember you in difficult times, that we would not lose hope. Father, as as hard as this life can get, and we know that it will get hard, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us by the power of your Spirit. You've given your promise and we stand on your promise that, Father, we will turn with our eyes fixed on you and remember you and we will not despair in this life. Father, strengthen those who are in despair in this moment, who have something they are facing that seems hopeless. May they fix their eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, those in the room, especially our young children, thank you, God, for simple ways to teach our children. God, may we be such a witness that they call on you and that despair is driven far from them at a young age and they grow in your ways. As we admonish them in your truth, may they be so grounded that they never are given to despair. Father, you are good. We thank you for what you have accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. 
Father, we say to you, be our vision. Be our wisdom. Be our shield. Be our sword. Be our strength. Be our presence. God, our light. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together.